Since uh, time immemorial, man has always reached out to something beyond him. That is, man has always sought something transcendent, you know, uh, something divine, has always believed in some sort of divinity. And, uh, you know, there's ample proof of this existence uh, through archaeology and anthropology, etc. Um, but what, what separated the Jews uh, during that time from all of these other pagan religions was that the Jews claimed that their God actually spoke to them. You know, the, the other gods didn't really speak. Man worshipped those gods or rocks or trees, but the, the gods didn't speak back. They didn't communicate their will. And what we find with, with divine revelation, right, and the, and the Jews beginning with, with Abraham, is that God calls his people. God speaks to his people and communicates specifically uh, with them what he wants them to do and how he wants them to live. You know, when you hear the Old Testament readings and, and the, the psalm responses, you know, you'll hear things like, you know, Lord, we love your commands. You know, Lord, we love your laws. Our, your laws are close to our heart, which to us, I think, you know, seems a bit strange because we don't really love laws. You know, why would we love commands? Why would we love rules? Most people don't really love those things. Well, the reason why the Jews would, would speak about it that way is because the fact that God communicated with them and told them how he wanted them to live was, was an incredibly different experience than anybody else who believed in something they thought was trans, transcendent, that the Lord God spoke to his people. And so the commandments that, that Moses received on Sinai were an example of God's love and care for them. This is how I want you to live. This is how you are to be my people. Um, there's a, it's, it's one of my favorite stories in scripture, the, the uh, story of uh, Elijah and the priests of Baal. Do you remember the story? No? Anyone? Ron? Fantastic story. So the priests of Baal, are sort of challenging Elijah or back and forth. They're kind of, they're kind of challenging each other as to whose God is, is real. You know, will God answer our prayers? You know, will Baal answer our prayers, say the, those priests? Or, or will your God answer your prayers? So they build this altar, right? They build this altar made of wood and whatnot. And, you know, you alter, the altar normally you, you know, you light the altar and you burn the offering, you know, which is... Uh, generally a, a lamb or a goat or, you know, somebody you don't like. And um, so, so I'm just kidding. It's an animal. So, so, the, uh, so Elijah tells the, the priest of Baal, okay, go ahead and pray to your God so that he can consume this altar, can consume the altar with fire, you know. Pray to your God that we might hear him speak. So they, it even says in scripture, so the priest of Baal um, hopped around the, the, uh, the altar and they hopped and they, they prayed and they sang and, and nothing happened. And no one said a word. The heavens were silent. So the priests hopped all the more and they, they got themselves into a frenzy and they started slashing themselves and, you know, cutting themselves <laughs> and nothing happened. You know, God, their God did not speak because their God did not exist. And then um, 
you know, finally they, they just, they give up. And Elijah says, okay, take a bunch of buckets of water and throw the water on the wood. Just, just keep doing it. Keep doing it until the water overflows. And then he starts to pray to God, you know, please answer my prayers, etc. And this, and this pillar of fire comes down and completely eviscerates the altar. Um, demonstrating that there is communication between our, our God and ourselves. And then he promptly went and killed the priests of Baal, actually. <laughs> That's, uh, I thought that was kind of funny. But, uh, you know, it's not funny if you're a priest of Baal, uh, but uh, 5,000 years later. So our God is a God who communicates to us. And we find that in the first reading with Samuel. Samuel is, is young. He doesn't, you know, he's hearing somebody call his voice. He thinks it's the priest Eli. So he goes to Eli. No, it's not me. I'm not calling you. And then Eli figures it out. Samuel doesn't yet know that God will speak to him. He hasn't had that experience of God. God has not revealed himself to Samuel in such a way. And so Eli says, okay, look, the next time you hear your voice called, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Because that is the proper response to God who calls. If God is calling us, and if we know that that's his voice calling us, the only proper response would be, speak, I am listening. In other words, I am ready to receive your message. I am ready to hear you. The, um, what we find then is that it's God who constantly takes the initiative, right? It's uh, the, the pagan religions, um, you know, would, would keep trying to, to pray and pray and pray and, and, and consume themselves in prayer so that hopefully what they desired from their God would come true. This is why when they asked Jesus, um, you know, how are we to pray? He says, when you are to pray, do not babble like the pagans, you know, who think that they will receive what they ask for by their many words. They think that they can achieve their objective by babbling or, or just continuing to pray and pray and pray and pray. If I just pray more than this stone God will give me what I want. And the Lord says, don't, don't do that. That's not how God operates. It's God who always takes the initiative. It's God who takes the initiative with Abraham. It's God who takes the initiative with Moses. It's God who takes the initiative here with, with, with Samuel. Right? So it's God who takes the initiative. And then we are the ones who respond to that initiative by saying, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Now, when we move to the gospel, we have an interesting scene. John the Baptist is there. And remember, this gospel comes from, from John. So, um, you know, John talks about Andrew and the other apostle. Anytime John says the other apostle, he's talking about himself. So you have Andrew and John with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, you know, they've been following John the Baptist. And, and John the Baptist has been what? Preparing the way of the Lord. Telling them about the coming Messiah. He's coming. He's coming. The time is near. And then we have this scene today where he says, there he is. There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And immediately, Andrew and John begin to follow Jesus, which is kind of interesting. I mean, imagine Musio, you're walking down the street, and then all of a sudden, two guys start following you. You, you know, you're going to kind of wonder what's up, right? 
So this is kind of what happens with Jesus, although because he's God, he knows what's up, right? And so he's, he's walking down the road, and, and Andrew and John begin to follow him. And they're following him because of John the Baptist. John the Baptist has said, look, when this guy comes, I'm going to decrease. He's the one to follow. So they're following. And Jesus knows it. So he turns, and, and this is just a fascinating question. He asks them, what are you looking for? You know, he doesn't, he doesn't ask them like, you know, maybe me or Musio would if two guys started following us. We'd say, what are you looking for? Jesus is saying, it's an openness. What are you looking for? There's no defensiveness. What do you desire? The Lord God says to John and Andrew, what are you looking for? What do you want from me? Which is, it's just amazing that God would ask that of anyone. And so their, their, their first answer is, well, we want to know where you live, which in the translation is really more, where do you abide? Where is your home? You know, where are you, are you kind of yourself? You know, because our home is where we, we sort of reveal ourself in our most, most sort of authentic state. They want to get to know him. And so he says, come and see, come and see. So then for us today, it's very important for us to consistently reflect on our spirituality. And if God were, say, were to say to you today, what are you looking for? In other words, what do you want from me? What do you really want from me? And I, you know, not a new car, I'm pretty sure God doesn't care what kind of car you drive. He only cares what you think about the car you drive. He doesn't care what, how big your house is. He only cares about how much your house possesses you as opposed to you possessing it. Not about those things, temporal things, lasting things. You know, the deep down things that we desire. Things like, you know, peace of heart or peace of mind. Or true freedom. You know, not, not just... The, the imperfect freedom of living in the United States, a true interior freedom that, that nobody else outside of God can give, you know, which ultimately is usually a freedom from ourselves, from the worst parts of our nature, from those things that, that uh, you know, have claims on us which keep us from thriving as people of faith. Maybe a, a, a knowledge of love, that in a completion of love, a desire for that, that, that we've never really had in this life because we can't get it in this life. Even the, even the best wife or best husband cannot give the love that God can give because anything that God gives is infinite. So if God were to ask you today, and the answer is going to be different for all of you, but if God were to ask you today, what do you seek? What do you want from me? Ask of that today. Place that before him, whatever your desire is, because it reveals something about yourself and about your relationship with God. Ask of that today, because what the Lord's answer is to all of, all of us, every single one of us, is come and see. Come and be with me, and what you seek will be yours. Please stand.